Relationships matter in every area of our lives. Research has shown that healthy relationships do everything from help us to live longer, enable us to better handle the stress in our lives, and they can even affect our physical health. In fact, I read that we can even become more resistant to colds when our relationships are healthy. As important as it is to have healthy relationships, it's also important that we have right relationships because they affect every single area of our lives. And anything that's that important deserves some attention. It deserves some effort on our part. So we're doing this series, Intentional Relationships, in which we're talking about key relationships in our lives. Thank you. I was just looking for some water and didn't have it where we're talking about key relationships in our lives. And we're using the word intentional because it takes being intentionally working, um, takes us to intentionally work on our relationships and cultivate our relationships if we want them to be healthy. If we neglect them, then they're not going to be healthy. Um, uh, so we, we want to work on the relationships in our lives. We can't just take them for granted. Cultivating and growing various relationships in our lives is not something that just happens. It takes intentionality. It takes effort on our part. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. And we began with the most important relationship in our lives of all, and that is our relationship with God. Talked about that. And then we moved the, the following week to uh, talking about the, the, the next most important relationship in our lives, and that is that with our family, the family that God has given us. And then today... Our third week, we're moving outward again as we move from God to family, we move outward again. This time we're talking about relationships within our community. And by when I use the word community in this, I'm talking about our local church, our local church community, our church family, the people that we gather with weekly to share our faith with, the people that we gather with weekly to do our, to, to, just to do life with. Now, the things that we're talking about all apply to the universal big C church as well, but our focus here this morning is on the local church because the local church is the local expression of the big C church, the corporate church. Uh, the local church is where we find the kind of life-giving relationships we need if we're going to, to grow in our faith in Christ. I'm going to ask you something. Did you know, or let me, let, let me ask it this way. How many of you know how many times in the New Testament the Bible tells us something, some way to interact with one another? The one another passages. Does anybody know how many one another passages there are in, script, in, in, in the New Testament? A lot. A lot. Anybody want to guess? Except Susie, because she knows this. Well, not the thousands, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a lot. 59. There's, there's 59 one another passages in the New Testament. 50 times, 59 times that the New Testament tells us how to relate to one another in the church. If you want to do a good study sometime, go through the New Testament and just circle or mark or write down everything that it says about how we treat one another, how we relate to one another. This morning, we're going to look at four ways that we can be intentional 
about building and participating uh, in community as believers. Four ways. We're not going to go through all 59, one, but four ways. First one is to commit to gathering with our local church. When the church comes together to worship, be here. Be here. It's more than just coming together and singing songs, hearing some teaching. The local church really is the lifeblood of the believer. It's essential for our growth and our health. When we gather, when we get together, when we learn to how, how, how this thing called the Christian life you know, works, we, we, we come together and we live this faith out together. It's where we find accountability. It's where we find encouragement when we're discouraged. It's where we find strength when ours is failing. It's where we can encourage and pick each other up when we've stumbled. It's where we can show love to one another. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his, prom his, his promises. Let us hold tightly without wavering. How do we do that? He says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to, to, to acts as, as, uh, 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 one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near encourage one another that happens as we gather together not when we sit at home and just read our bibles and 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 pray yeah, you know we can we can be at home we can read our bibles we can read christian books and build ourselves up that way but we don't get the mutual encouragement as that we do when we get together you know, the act of gathering with other believers in itself is encouragement. This is where the monks and the mystics have, you know, uh, got it wrong. It's where they missed it. The ones that would, you know, they go away and isolate themselves from everyone, become a hermit so they could devote their whole life to prayer. It's where they missed it. Because the Christian faith is meant to be lived out among people. That'd be like reading an operating manual for a computer but never pushing the power button to use it or never connecting it to a monitor or to a mouse or a keyboard or a printer. What good is it? Re without relationship, all we have is knowledge. And the local church is a place where we live out commands such as encourage one another. And for that to happen, we have to be together. We have to be, to, to, to be here for, 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 for me to encourage you and for you to encourage me. This is something that we need to be intentional about. It needs to be a priority. And, 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 you know, whenever I talk about this, I always, I hesitate because I know, you know, some of us grew up with a background of, you know, where it's drilled into us, you know, you have to be in church or you know, every single Sunday, you better not miss, or, you know, we, you know, it, it's like pounded into us like that, and it's you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do, it's not a have to, it's a get to, it's not a legalistic thing, it's, it's, if, if that's our attitude, then we don't see the benefit of it, if that's where we're coming, and, and quite frankly, some of us have had that drilled into us, like, you know, it was a sin if you missed a Sunday, and, and that kind of a thing. You know, I, 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 I went to church my whole life growing up, 
every every week unless I was you know deathly ill you know every single week growing up from the time I was born but that's all I did and it didn't do me a lot of good and then one day okay we got the peanut gallery over here saying boy it sure didn't do you any good all right I anyway but when I came into relationship with Christ, it stopped being a have to and it started being a get to because I began to grow and I grew through the local church. Let, let, let me make this statement. In 39 years of ministry, the only people that I've seen grow in their faith consistently and over the long haul are those who were committed to a local church. I mean, they might have spurts where they're doing well and, you know, time here with seasons where they do well and so forth. But over the long haul, the only ones that I've seen really grow and really be used and really make a difference are the ones that are connected and committed to a local church church not the ones that say well you know i can i can worship god out in out on a lake on a boat or sitting on a beach and enjoying his creation or i'll step on some toes or out on the golf course that's when i really worship god <laughs> well maybe you worship god once in a while out on the golf course but a lot of times those words that come out of our mouths on the you know, Anyway, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> I can do the same thing anyway. Um, <laughs> where, where in the world was I? Uh, it, it's, it's when we come together in a, in, a, in, a, in a local church, we assemble together and, and we worship together and we're taught together. We relate together. We fellowship together. That's the lifeblood. Our, our local churches, our lifeblood as a believer it's where we participate in ministry. It's where when we're, we're committed to serving each other in some area and to receiving ministry. So we commit to gathering together on a regular basis with the church. Second thing, let's intentionally commit to protect the unity of the church. The unity of the church was established by Jesus. And it matters to him. He loves it. No matter what problems it has, he loves it. And does every church have problems? You bet. The big C church has problems. The local church has problems. Everywhere you go. You know why? Because it's made up of people. We could get rid of all the people. It'd be great, right? <laughs> it's, I, I don't mean to get rid of all the people, really. It's so important to him, though. It's so important to Jesus that in John 17, when Jesus is giving his final talk, his final instructions to the disciples, he's with them one last time before he's betrayed and arrested and tried and crucified. His one last time with them, he prays to the Father and he says, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. Let them be one. Unity of the church. In our, in our pastor's meeting where local pastors get together and pray, there was one pastor who always, uh, uh, 
always say this, always pray that the church would be one, that we'd be united, that we would be unified as a body. That's how important it is. It was Jesus, his, his prayer and his, and, his, and his final words to his disciples that there would be unity. And it's not just talking about unity between denominations, unity between you know th this church over here and this one across town. We need that. We don't have anything on the church. The other churches don't have anything on the church. We need each other. But it goes beyond that. It's also talking about unity within the church. Within the local church, both are important because how can we expect unity with the big C church if there's not unity in the local churches around town? It matters to Jesus, so it matters to protect the unity of the church. Protect means to keep someone or something safe from injury, damage, or loss. And we do that when we take on an attitude of humility when we believe the best about people, when we have patience toward others when they fail us or let us down, we protect the church by not allowing any activity or discussion that would bring about division. doesn't mean we ignore problems, but rather to acknowledge them and work through them and in a spirit of love when they arise, which they do in every church. Nor does it mean we can't disagree or, 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 or hold other opinions. When we talk about unity, we're not talking about uniformity. Our unity is centered in Christ, not on our ability to agree on everything. We can disagree on politics. We can disagree on current issues. We can disagree on style of worship. We can disagree on which translation of the Bible we prefer. We can disagree on the best way to achieve a, 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 a common goal. We can disagree on all sorts of things and engage in respectful discussion as long as we do so in a way that's not disagreeable and that we still love each other and we're united in Christ because at the end of the day, all that matters is Christ and being united to him. I need a volunteer. I need somebody to be Jesus. Who wants to volunteer to be Jesus? Raise your hand. Brad will? Brad will make a good Jesus. He's a nice guy. He's got a beard. And... I, I imagine the church has put a few gray hairs on Jesus' head. I don't, I don't know. Um, but would you, Brad, why don't you stand up? And uh, stand over against the wall there. Doesn't he make a good Jesus? That's All right. I need somebody to volunteer to be themselves. Laura, you're a good one. You can be yourself. <laughs> Have you felt like yourself lately? Okay, stand up. Okay, now go stand back in front of your husband. All right. I'm me, and this is Laura, and this is Jesus. Laura and I have had a disagreement lately. Not really. But we've had a disagreement. She really feels strongly about this, and I really feel strongly about this. Now, 
Start walking to Jesus. What happens as we walk to Jesus? Yes, we are getting closer to each other when we move closer to Jesus. We cannot move closer to Jesus without coming into unity with each other. The closer we come to Jesus, the closer we move toward Him, the closer we move toward each other. We still may not agree on things, but there's something about our spirit. There's something that takes place inside of us that, that it's like, you know, you really don't like the the way I'm doing this or what I, you know, the choice I made here or whatever, but, you know, it doesn't matter because we both love Jesus. We love Brad too. We both love Jesus, all right? We can be seated. Or you can. I can't. <laughs> the closer we move to him, the more that unity is going to matter, the closer that we are going to be toward, toward uh, to each other. If someone's united to Christ, they are my brother and they are my sister. And I love what John Wayne used to, John Wayne, John Wimber used to say. I don't think John Wayne ever said this. All those years of watching all those westerns just has to come out somewhere. This wasn't in a western, but I like what John Wimber used to say when he said, my brother is never my enemy. My brother, because he was, he, he faced a lot of opposition, you know, in, in, in his earlier days and so forth, and later days too. He had people write papers about him and all this, and he wouldn't respond. It was like, my brother is not my enemy. And that's the way it is with each other. That's the way it is with the church. We, if, if someone is united to Christ, they're my brother, they're my sister, and I will love them. I will believe the best about them. I will protect them from harm and from slander. I will do, uh, protect them from anything that would harm them. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul is writing, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, how do we do that? He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another, another one another verse, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. It takes effort to protect unity. It doesn't come naturally. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be protected. And Paul doesn't mess around with it. In fact, he uses some of the strongest language in any of his letters. There's, there's, there's a couple of things where he uses really strong language about, and this is one of them. When, he, when he's talking about protecting unity, in Titus 3.10, he, he writes and he says, If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Strong language. Say, well, is that the loving thing to do? Yes, because it's protecting the unity of the body. Paul gives a similar warning in Romans 16, 17. You can look that up when you get home. Romans 16, 17. But this is how much it matters to Jesus. Give him a chance to stop, and then it says, just don't have anything to do with them. Cut them off if they persist. But, and here's a cool thing, in Psalm 133, 
David said that when God's people dwell in unity, God commands his blessing upon them. He talks to you, gives a picture of the, the, uh, uh, the high priest, you know, with the oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, oil being poured over his head to anoint him, and it runs down his hair, runs down his, his beard, runs down onto his clothing, and just the, 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 the blessing of God just pours out and as Christ commands it when the brothers dwell in unity. So let's intentionally commit to gathering with the local church, intentionally commit to protect the unity of the church, and third, commit to love the church. Commit to love the church, both the church community as a body as well as the individuals in the church. Those 59 one another scriptures in the New Testament, 15 of them, 15 of them command us to love one another. 15 out of 59, that's, that's pretty good. In John 15, Jesus said, this is my commandment, love each other in the same ways I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my command, love each other. Think about this is, sounds great when we're talking about our friends. It's easy to love people that you're close to and who are like you. It's easy to love people that have the same opinions as you. But the more that people differ from us, the harder it becomes to do. And that's because the less our focus is on Christ and the more we focus on our disagreements and our differences, the more those disagreements and differences influence our relationships. It's not that we ignore disagreements or pretend that they're not there. Rather, we acknowledge our unity in Christ as primary while we discuss our disagreements. That's what love does. See, love allows for differences. It allows for differences. In Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul's us, Paul tells us, love must be sincere. Now, that's the NIV. Love must be sincere. The NLT translates it this way. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't just pretend to love others. I mean, that's, we, we can speak the language, but if we don't walk the walk, we're not fooling anyone. Then he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. There's that word honor again. We talked about that last week. Then in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us a very practical description of what love looks like and you've we've talked about this a lot before you've heard this at weddings before but I want to read it I want you to think of not in the context of a wedding but I want you to think in the context of day in and day out relationships and interactions because this is sandwiched right in the middle of it's it's first Corinthians 13 is sandwiched right in the middle of first Corinthians 12 and first Corinthians 14 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church about the gifts of the Spirit, okay? And the reason he was doing that, the reason he was talking about the gifts of the Spirit is because they were getting it wrong. The Corinthian church had a lot of stuff going on, 
instead of being a blessing to the church, the gifts were causing some division and some disunity and, you know, one person, you know, lifting up themselves because they had this gift and another person lifting up themselves because they had that. So he had to write a corrective measure. He had a letter. He had to write a corrective letter to the church and say, hey, guys, wait. This is how these things are supposed to operate. There should be a blessing to the church, and they are a blessing in the church when they operate in the right way. So, so this is what you need to know, and this is how they need to operate. And right in the middle of those two chapters is chapter 13, the love chapter, where he tells them that basically the, the, the idea is this needs to be the context of this whole discussion. This needs to be the context of how this operates. So this needs to be the context of our relationships with each other in the church. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Fifteen indicators of love in those four verses right there. Now let's be honest. Do you ever struggle with these things? I mean, it's so easy to read through them. I can read through them, and I can, oh, yes, it's a nice feel-good passage. Yes, this is what love is like. Until I get down and get practical, do I ever get impatient? Do I ever get envious of someone else? Maybe of something they have, something to get to do, or whatever. Do I ever have a tendency to boast and make myself look better than someone else? Do I always speak honorably about others? Do I get angry easily when someone says something or does something that I don't like or that I disagree with? Do I have a mental list in my head of times when people have done me wrong? Do I take satisfaction when someone gets payback or suffers for something they've done wrong? You ever do that? Somebody does something? Oh, boy, they really deserved what they got. What Paul is talking about here is practical indications of love. And if these, to the degree that these do not describe our lives, that's the degree of room we have to grow when it comes to loving others. I think we could all look at that list and find some area that we really need to work on. I do, I know. Fourth area to be intentional about when it comes to experiencing and building community in the church is intentionally commit to a posture of humility in the church. A posture of humility. Humility is the posture of Christ. We see it in Philippians 2, where Paul tells us to take on the same attitude of Christ. Then he describes how Christ humbled himself to take on humanity. Rick Warren said this, True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. We're not talking about thinking less of ourselves. 
We're just talking about thinking of ourselves less. Look what the Bible says about humility. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Oh yeah, one another. Circle that one again. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. And we touched on this verse uh, a moment ago when we touched on it last week when we talked about honor in the context of the family. But honor is not just limited to those within our family. It extends far beyond. 1 Peter 2 tells us, honor everyone. Now, do we know anybody that's not included in everyone? No, honor everyone. Here in Romans, Paul says to honor one another above ourselves, and he's talking to the church. Honoring somebody above yourself requires that we take a posture of humility. It's putting someone else first. It's, it's, it's putting them above ourselves. That's humility. That's what it does. It's thinking of, of others more than ourselves. Putting others first. Philippians 2, Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In other words, what's the person next to me going through? What do they need? So much of the conflict in the world, whether it's in churches or families or workplaces, boils down to putting our own wants, our own opinions, our own desires ahead of everyone else's. Humility thinks of others first. And it's not a once-and-done thing. It's a daily lifestyle. Andrew Murray said this, The only humility that is really ours is not that which we try to show before God in prayer, but that which we carry, carry with us in our daily conduct. Hmm, interesting quote. In other words, we can go to God in prayer and, Oh, dear God, I humbly come before you right now and I beseech your help in this problem. I'm just a worm. I don't deserve this. But I want a crumb. Will you giveth it to me? I mean, we can present this humble front before God. And that's not the way to pray, by the way, what I just said. But, but unless our attitude of humility is carried out with us in our daily conduct, unless we live it out, it's not real humility. Do we need to have a, a, a posture of humility before God? Yes, we do. We don't go in and say, God, I demand this. Or, God, this isn't fair. You need to do this. You need to give me that. We, don't, we, we go in with humility, recognizing that He is God and we are His children. He loves us with an incredible love. And He has blessed us with incredible blessings. And, you know, we are honored to be his, called His children. 
But let's never forget, He is God. I am not. Okay? So we go with Him. We can go with confidence. We can go with boldness. Yes. But we go with humility, recognizing who He is. And that needs to translate to how we relate to one another. We don't go putting ourselves above somebody else, putting someone else down, you know, boasting, well, look at me and look what I did and, and, and that. And, you know, I'm the one that keeps this company together. I'm the one that keeps it running. And all, you know, no, an attitude of humility. The local church is where we as God's children come together for life-giving encouragement and necessary equipping. It's a place where we belong and where we experience community. It's where we're a part of something that is making a difference. It's God's provision for us, God's provision for His people. And the truth is this, you and I need the other people that are sitting around us in the church. The church needs you, and the church needs me, and the church needs the people sitting around us. So let's be intentional in our relationships in the local church community by making these four commitments that we've talked about this morning. One, to make gathering with our church a priority. Now, this may mean making some adjustments to our life on Saturday night, you know, um, where we don't habitually, you know, plan things on Saturday night to keep us up at all hours so then that we can't, you know, gather together on Sunday morning, you know. Um, um, the local church is, it, it, it's got to be a priority. Two, to protect the unity of the church. Three, commit to love the church. I mean, if Jesus loves the church, then so should we. Fourth, to take a posture of humility in the church. Those four commitments. That's what makes up the community of the church when God's people come together to commit to those things. Can we have the worship team come up? Let me ask you this. If you've not yet placed your faith in Christ, turn from living life for yourself to living life for Him. And you believe that Jesus died and that He rose from the dead on the third day. And you want to make that decision to follow Him. You can do that right now. I don't know where everybody stands here. So most of you I know have, have, have taken that step, but there may be some that haven't. So I want you to do this. I want everybody to close their eyes for a moment. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. If you're here this morning and you're ready to take the step, make the commitment to, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. I believe he died for me, that he rose from the grave, and I'm going to live my life for him no longer for myself. 
you've never taken that stand, you're ready to do that right now. I want you to just raise your hand right where you are. I don't want anybody looking around. I'm not going to call you out, point you out, make you come up front, anything like that. It's between you and God. just want to give you a moment right now. Okay, let me ask one other thing. If you are ready to make these four commitments that we just talked about, I invite you to pray with me now. Just follow after me. Lord, thank you that you've given us a place to belong. We thank you that you've placed us in a family. We thank you for the local church. We commit to gathering with the local church body. We commit to protecting the unity of the local church. We commit to love the church, even when it's hard. We commit to a posture of humility in the church. And by your grace and with your help, we make these commitments to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward, and if you would like prayer at the end of the service, as soon as we dismiss, then come on up and let somebody the prayer team uh, pray with you. Hold at your hands. i got a blessing I want to give you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Go and have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.